South Hills, I want to take the opportunity to share with you something new, something different that we're doing. Many of you who have been a part of our church know that we last year and the years before have been doing something called Beyond Our Walls. And we are actually going to change the terminology of Beyond Our Walls to Above and Beyond, which is still step number two to trusting God with your finances. On every one of our envelopes, it says, Every week at South Hills, your generosity is giving people the opportunity to live a better story. That's exactly what God does with our finances, with your finances. When you tithe to the church, we give people an opportunity to live a story for God. And there's a scripture that I wanna share with you that's also on all of our offering envelopes in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, and it says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so we have a category that we call above and beyond, and this is where we give specifically to needs or designated areas, such as the local outreach in the community. And we have global campuses where we do missions work and impact communities, campus development and modification so that we can provide better weekend experiences and better services. We plant new campuses, we plant new churches. And the new one that I'm adding this year is debt reduction. At South Hills, we actually still have debt. I wanna start being laser focused with going after that debt so that we can use that income to do more ministry. So South Hills, I want you to take a moment and just take this in. I want you to really consider and ask God where would he have you take the next step in your faith. So South Hills, I want you to dive deeper into a relationship with God and I want God to be able to bless you and your family and your finances as you learn to trust God more and more every day. We are in week three of our series, Like and Subscribe, a series on why commitment is so crucial. Right? We live in a time and age where we like to browse anonymously, we hold relationships loosely, and we say yes to plans with a soft maybe or yeah, yeah, I'll see. Uh, we don't want to miss out on anything or on the other side, we don't want to be tied down to anyone or anything. So we prefer to keep our options open. We admire commitment but we're just not sure the cost of it is worth it. But if we're honest, we don't seem to be too thrilled or we don't find this way of living that much fulfilling at all. And so what do we do about it? And that is the gist of this series. Last week, we talked about how to make healthy commitments through what we call spiritual disciplines. And so today, as promised, we will begin to talk about what some of those spiritual disciplines are uh, and what they look like and how we can actually apply them. So our talk is titled Inward Spiritual Disciplines, Meditation, Prayer, Fasting, and Studying. Those are the spiritual disciplines that we'll be talking about today. So let me ask you this. Have you ever 
Uh, have you ever had a time where you uncovered the athletic ability of somebody unassuming? In other words, someone who just didn't look the part, and and, and you saw them, you were like, "What the what? Where, where did that come from?" Right? Maybe it was that kind of that that pudgy guy, right, who ran, who just ran a ten k marathon. You were like. Right, or, or the neighbor with the dad bod who you happen to bump into him in the gym and he is like incredibly strong and you're like, man, I'm with 10 pounds and he's at 50, right? Or or the time, the goofy guy who dominates at the pickup basketball game, like, right? We, st- we, st- we stare at them and in shock, asking ourselves, how? How in the world is this possible? How in the world is this person capable of doing this, right? And that incredible ability or talent almost always traces back to a hidden talent, right? A hidden habit, rather. Maybe the person who's ran that 10K mile has been running five miles a day. You just didn't see it. Right or or the person who who was at that gym actually wakes up super early and you only caught him at that time because he had an appointment, but normally he's in the gym way before you and and you just didn't see him going to the gym, or or probably the person shooting hoops right he probably shoots three or four times in an empty gym and nobody actually sees him shooting around. The truth is. Appearances are deceiving, right? Appearances are deceiving. Regular disciplines are what determines our abilities. When we do things regularly, right, when there's a habit, right, those things, the things that we are working on actually develop into something, determine our abilities. Now, it's easy to get that on the physical level, but the same thing is also true on the spiritual level. Maybe you've had that experience where you've had that friend who, who always has something smart and intelligent and wise to say, or that person who always seems to be calm and collective and have peace in the most <clears throat> chaotic of situations, or that guy who, whose positivity and, and generosity are enormous and even infectious, or the lady whose faith seems completely unshakable no matter what is happening or going on in her life. You see, 1 Timothy 4 reminds us, right, physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. I don't know if you've ever read that scripture before, but that scripture speaks totally different now in the context of our message this morning. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and the life to come. Friends, when you dig below the surface of people's lives who have an impressive level of spiritual depth, right, what you'll find is a series of hidden habits, hidden practices uh, strengthening that part of them. It didn't just rise up out of thin air, right? It, it just didn't come up out of nowhere. They didn't just have it overnight, They were habits, they were practices that they were doing, following through, that actually got them to the points 
where they find themselves today. There's a nickname for these sorts of habits. They're called spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines or practices. They're the way we train ourselves for godliness. Spiritual disciplines are the things that we do to bulk up our faith, to strengthen ourselves from within, right? What we believe. The renowned Christian author Richard Foster divides them into three categories. He divides them into three, and they were inward, outward, and corporate. Inward spiritual disciplines, outward spiritual disciplines, and corporate disciplines. Today, we're going to be talking about inward disciplines, right? And so over the next three weeks of this series, or the last three weeks of this series, including today, we're going to unpack each of these categories, starting, like I said, with the inward disciplines, right? Because Scripture draws our attention every time to the reality that the condition of our hearts and minds drives the rest of our lives. The condition of our hearts and minds drives, pushes the rest of our lives. So if there's one thing that you want to get right, it's organizing, making sure that your internal world is on point. Does that make sense? That the things that you are going on inside of you are in the right place. They're positioned with the right mentality so that you can move forward in life. Luke Luke chapter 6 verse 45 says, As a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart, What you say flows from what's in your heart. So if you were spitting venom, (laughs) if there is darkness coming out of your mouth, if there is evil being pushed from from your mouth, the Bible says that it comes from within. It comes from your heart. And when I think about that, that, when I try to wrap my head around that understanding, I'm quickly prompted to say, oh, I need to check this heart. Because if all I'm doing is spitting out evil, venom, madness, craziness, then the root of that stuff is because internally my heart is not right. I've not fixed what's internally, right? On the outside, we can look like we are good. Everything is proper and everything is, is great. But the, the moment you open your mouth and what you say does not add up, then we have to come to the understanding that internally something is just not right. In fact, Romans 12, 2 says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. So not in fact, but in addition, Romans 12, 2 says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Do you see how it all deals back to internally? Because you may look the part, 
You may look the part, but are we internally kind of dissecting and chewing and meditating and, 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 and rising up internally what God has called us to be? In fact, this is so important and essential to us as believers that even Jesus prioritized it. And this is our scripture for this morning, Matthew 4, 1 through 11. And this is the time when Jesus, Jesus needed to go out. He needed to go out and, and kind of be by himself and kind of gather his thoughts and kind of make sure that everything internally was right, right? Matthew 4, 1 through 11, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. Amen. We can stop right there. No, just kidding. <laughs> During that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the Scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so that you, don't, you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you kneel down and worship me. Verse 10, get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him, for the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away and the angels came and took care of Jesus. Think about what just transpired here for Jesus. Even when God himself takes on human form in Jesus, living this life in this world produced such powerful temptations. He had to keep a regular practice of withdrawing and kind of refocusing to keep his mind right because Jesus knew that his thoughts would drive his actions. His thoughts would drive his actions. Let me ask you this. Have your thoughts ever drove your actions? That the things that you think about or consume you ever kind of push you and nudge you and lead you to a place where you didn't want to go and to do things that you didn't want to do? The mind is a very powerful thing. And if we let the world grab a hold of it and control it, then we are setting up ourselves to live a life so much less than God's best for us. And even Jesus understood that. Jesus understood that, and that's why he needed to kind of withdraw himself and kind of refocus internally, right? So what did he do during this time? What did he do during these 40 days and 40 nights? I'll tell you what he did. He prayed, he studied, he meditated, and he fasted. He prayed, studied, meditated, and fasted. 
Inside the Christian tradition, this has long been referred to as a devotional practice. Right? Having a devotional life. So let's talk about what each of these things are and how to do them and and what they do for us, the benefits for us as believers. Let's start off with number one, prayer. Prayer is an intentional and focused interaction with the presence of God. Not with mom, not with your girlfriend, but it is with God. An intentional and focus interaction with the presence of God. It's a two-way conversation where you talk and listen. But some conversations happen, they happen without words, right? Some conversations happen without words. So much can happen just sitting in someone else's presence. Ever, ever felt that? That you could be sitting next to someone and somewhat, so much So much can happen just by sitting there. Ever found yourself taking on someone's mentality or energy, just being around them or being with them? For example, my brother-in-law, who's not, I don't think he's here today. A few minutes with my brother-in-law, all you do is laugh. Like you just sit there and laugh and laugh, and then we just back and forth. And once you get us started, we're like, like you just can't get us, we, we can't stop. It's just, it just, I look at him and I just want to laugh. And that's not about him as an individual, but he brings that aura with him. He's just a funny guy. And then there are other people that I have that I know in my life that just kind of, you got to be serious. Just, they walk in a room and you're like, <laughs> right? And if you've ever been around me long enough, you would know that I am just laughing most of the time. I find things hilarious, and I'll find humor. And mo- I'm a very positive kind of guy. But there are moments that people sit next to me, and, I, and I'm, I'm cool with who I am. And the moment they sit next to me, I feel like i got to sit up. i got to stand up proper, cross my legs, hold my like it's just, it's just crazy, right, that that happens. But here's the thing. It's hard to have a meaningful relationship with a person without having regular conversations with that person. It's hard to have a meaningful relationship with someone when you don't have meaningful conversations with them. Maybe you've had a long-distance relationship and it was cool, but it comes a point or a moment where you're like, hmm, I don't know, because I can't reach you. I can't talk to you. You're not around. You're not available. It's hard to develop that relationship. But the person that's sitting right there next to you and you're easily able to conversate and dialogue and laugh and high-five and, and, and smile and all of those things, right, you, can, you find yourself having an incredible relationship with them. So it's crucial that we are in constant dialogue with our Creator. We need to have a prayer life. And I'm not talking about those popcorn prayers like, you know, the ones that go, oh, thank you, Jesus, for saving me from eating this burger, right? And you move along. No, we're talking about spending the time uninterrupted, maybe in your prayer closet, maybe in your ride to work, right? Time where you dialogue back and forth, where you are engaging in a conversation with your creator, with your father. Hey, Pastor, so, 
So what do you say? <laughs> I'll tell you what you say. Author Anne Lamont says that there are three categories of prayer. Help, thanks, and wow. Help, thanks, and wow. Let's break this down real quickly. Help, right? It's admitting your need for God. Your dependency to God, right? In all things, right? All things to give us an accurate picture of who we are, to forgive us of our sins, to meet our needs, to direct, to protect us, to empower us to do the wise and the right thing. Some of us stop praying for God to help us do the right thing because you think you know the right thing. I got news flash. You don't know it all, right? The next thing we want to pray for is, is part of giving thanks, having gratitude for the grace of God in all things, in life, breath, food, water, health, safety, friendship, family, forgiveness, purpose, and fulfillment. I read the other day that uh, a, a bullpen catcher for the Tampa Bay Devil Rays, the bullpen catcher, guy who's making money, more money than most of us here today, he committed suicide. Many people thought he was good. He had it together. Something inside of him was not right. And so we need to give thanks for if we feel like, man, things are going our way, things worked out in our favor, then we need to give thanks. The Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes from his hands. Our family, our friends, the roof over our head, the food on our table, the clothes on our back, our jobs, all of it. And we need to give thanks. And the last part is, wow, being in awe over the greatness of God. Being in awe over the greatness of God in all things, his love, his power, his creativity, his expansiveness, his compassion, his justice, his presence, his strength and sufficiency. Some of you see me up in the front row and I am bouncing, I am, I'm swaying, my hands are up, I'm clapping. I'm probably the loudest clapper in this room. You heard me. I know you heard me. If I didn't have to put that mask on, you would hear me louder. I, I worship him with all that is within me. There's not a person here. You can't critique me enough to stop me from worshiping him. There's not, hey, Pastor, you, you got no rhythm. I don't care because it's not for you. Hey, Pastor E, you, you, you can't keep a tone. I don't care. It's not for you. Because when I worship him, I am in awe of who he is and what he has done for me and where he has taken me from. And there is absolutely never a day where I cannot be in awe of his greatness. So when we pray, we pray for help, thanks. And wow. Now, we're telling God anything. We're not telling God anything that he doesn't know when we pray. Right? We're not bringing him a news We're not telling God something he doesn't know. He knows it. But it helps us to say it out loud. It helps us to recognize it. It helps us to feed our soul. The more we say it, the more we believe it. 
The more we call out for help, the more dependent we are of him. The more we worship him, the more we are in awe of him, the more we tell our hearts, man, there is no one greater than you, Lord. And we believe that. Church, prayer isn't as much about us convincing God to act on our preferences, but about him helping us see things from his perspective. That makes sense? At the same time, people throughout Scripture believed that their prayers made a real difference, that when they got on their knees, that when they went into their prayer closet, and when they carved out specific time to spend with Jesus, to spend with God, something was going to happen. God was going to move on their behalf. In other words, they believed that their prayers didn't just change them, but the energy and the atmosphere around them and had a mysterious impact on situations and circumstances and the world at large. Church, when we pray, God moves on our behalf. He moves for us internally. He moves for us the people that we love, and he moves for the people that we don't even know. But guess what has to happen? We need to pray. We need to pray. The way Jesus taught his followers to pray was your kingdom and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Friends, that's praying for a specific purpose, but it's doing so with a great deal of humility and understanding that he is God, that he is seated on the throne that he is in control. Guess who I don't pray for? I mean, excuse me. Guess who I don't pray to? My wife. You know why I don't pray to my wife? Because she ain't seated on the throne no matter how many times she tells me what to do. (laughs) Right? And she doesn't pray to me because I'm not seated on the throne, at least not on that throne. Right? Right? We pray to God because he is the one and only. He is the one that has the power and the authority to move things on our behalf. Friends, it's saying, I may not know what your will is in this situation, but God, you do. Show me what that is and help me align my attitudes and actions with it. How do we know what God thinks, right? How do we know what God thinks or, or, or is about or how he relates to us or what he wants for us and from us? The primary way, the best way to kind of know that is to study his word, the Bible. And that's number two, study. To study something is to investigate and analyze it in detail. It's refusing to skim the surface. Too many of us like to, my wife says that about my cleaning. <laughs> you need to dig in a little bit deeper. You can't just do the surface, right? We say study instead of read because reading is about uncovering what the Bible says, but studying is about uncovering what the Bible means. It's digging into the context of what it meant to them back then, so that we can understand what it means to us right now. The goal isn't just to understand it, church. 
but to appropriately apply it. Apply it. And as Christians, we believe that all of Scripture is to be interpreted through the life of Christ. That means that we ought to pay uh, pay close attention and give a huge and substantial amount of our time and energy unpacking, unpacking, uh, unveiling the actions and teachings of Jesus in particular. The idea is to internalize and uh, emulate the way Jesus thought, the way he talked, the way he lived and treated people. The more we study that, the more likely we are to reflect that. I say this over and over time. If people cannot see the Jesus inside of you, something is disconnected. People need to see the Jesus that's inside of us. If they cannot see the Jesus inside of us, then then something that we're doing in our quest to be more like Jesus is not happening the right way. There's so much information coming to us on a consistent basis that's not from God in this world. Every single day, there's so much that this world is trying to shove down our throats that doesn't line up from God. So it's healthy and helpful to counteract, to counterbalance what the world is trying to feed us with looking into and sitting with what God says for us, what God thinks. We need to study the word of God. Our, behalf, our, excuse me, our belief in the value of this is why we encourage everyone to kind of jump on board with the read every day plan. Right? That's why we've been pushing it for the last several weeks to jump on it. Right, It's the, an initiative for this entire year. It's also why our weekend services revolve around studying God's word. That's what a sermon is. It's, I'm basically taking God's word and giving it to you and giving you a way to study what God is doing right, or what God is saying. And that's why I encourage you to take notes, to take pictures, so that when you go home, you can actually look at those pictures, look at those notes and say, hmm, I want to dig a little bit deeper on this, or I need to apply this to my everyday life. In fact, you cannot, you cannot build the kind of deep relationship that you were designed to have and desperate for with God in a crowd of people. I love corporate church. I love getting together with all of you on Sundays. It's incredible. But you cannot have the intimate one-on-one relationship with God in a corporate setting, which is why going to church on Sundays alone is never enough. There has to be more. Has to be more. Number three, meditation. Meditation is slowing down and pulling away in order to focus on God. Slowing down and pulling away in order to focus on God. As we read earlier, Jesus did it all of the time. He was away from people, but he wasn't alone. He was intentionally, intentionally carving out time to be with God, focused on God. This is the difference between isolation and meditation. 
And because meditation is a trend on the rise, it's important to note that, that note the difference between Eastern meditation and Christian meditation. Eastern meditation is an attempt to empty the mind of everything, while Christian uh, meditation is an attempt to fill the mind with the right things, with God. Philippians 4.8 says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. In other words, fix your thoughts on him. Church, the nausea our world becomes, the more necessary meditation is. The crazier things are getting on, happening around us, the more we need to carve out time. Sometimes I need to turn off the news. Sometimes I need to turn off the radio station. Sometimes I need to put the phone down because it is constantly trying to feed me what the world wants to feed me. And I need to be more intentional on what God wants to feed me. In many ways, meditation boils down to focused thinking and breathing. It's helpful to do this with a passage of scripture that you need to, to take root, that needs to take root in your soul. Or maybe it's something that God uh, says about you that you need to, you're having trouble believing and you need to kind of sit down and, and allow that to settle in in your spirit. Maybe it's a characteristic of God that draws you to him. Right? But we need to stop the world and, and focus solely on him. However you do it, church, the important question arises, and that is that when, when are you setting aside time to be disconnected from technology or other inputs, music, sports, crowds, whatever, and simply sitting with God? Simply sitting with God and allowing him to renew your mind and re-energize your thoughts. When? When are you going to do that? And lastly, I'm running short on time here, is fasting. Fasting is restricting food for a time as a way of evaluating, or excuse me, elevating our spiritual needs over our physical needs. The ancients saw, uh, ancient saw this as the fundamental practice of self-discipline. It's allowing our regular impulses to arise and be intentionally denied. It's a way of reminding ourselves that we don't have to do everything our body tells us to do, when and how they tell us to. But it's not just not doing this thing. It's actually substituting it with something else. It's trading the time you would spend thinking and planning and preparing of eating food and spending all of that time, all of that energy, instead leaning into God through prayer, through studying and meditation. Fasting also often reveals a lot to us about us. Whatever we, we refuse to fast, Whatever we don't want to fast most likely has more of a hold on us than it ought to. Church, 
taking regular breaks from certain things reminds us mentally and it trains us physically that God is our priority, not our impulses or our urges. Also, not giving ourselves the food we want for a season does also helps us lose weight, right? But helps us in a way that have nothing to do with food. Later, when someone else doesn't give us what we want because we've practiced living joyfully without what we want, we're less likely to freak out. We're less likely to get mad or tell them off on Facebook. Saying no to ourselves on the inside church empowers us to say no to temptation from the outside. There are all sorts of fasts. There are water-only fasts, just pulling out certain foods fast, setting aside coffee, some of you. But what proves to be true is the more difficult it is, the more powerful that fast is for you. There are aspects of our tradition that include both seasons of fasting like the Lent season or uh, days of fasting like a Wednesday where we don't eat this thing or we don't eat it at all. That's totally up to you. So let me wrap this up real quickly here. Now maybe you've noticed that the common thread, the common thread between all of these practices is that inward disciplines help us deprioritize everything but connecting to and being directed by God. Inward disciplines allows us to get closer to God. And maybe you're in this season where you feel God is distant from you. I guarantee you that God didn't get up and move. I guarantee you that. You just haven't taken the time and the discipline to begin to practice this priority of connecting and being directed by God. These disciplines help us regularly align our hearts and our minds with God because if we do that, our words and our actions will follow Maybe you're familiar with the word, the scripture that says that your tongue is an evil thing. In other words, the words you say have the power, the power to either build someone up or tear someone down. And the only way they can build someone up is if what you have inside what's deep inside of your heart is overflowing with God. Isn't that what you want? Isn't that what we want as believers? For people to experience us as the friend who always has something intelligent and shrewd and and wise to say? For for our friends uh, to uh, always to be the one who always seems to be calm and have peace in the most chaotic of situations, 
to be the one whose positivity and generosity are are enormous and infectious, whose faith is completely unshakable no matter what is happening in our world today? Don't you want to be that person for your spouse, for your children, for your family, for your friends, co-workers? Training for godliness by exercising inward disciplines is how you become that kind of person, church. You can't can't wish it into existence. You can't blink it. You can't wiggle your nose. You can't stomp your feet. You cannot buy it. It's something that you have to have and you got to work on it every single day. Aaron, how many times you play your guitar a week? Every single day. Every single day, Aaron plays his guitar and it allows him to play the way he does up here. So I would suggest this, church. Commit to a simple, obtainable, repeatable devotional rhythm. Commit to that. For the next few months, commit to a simple, something that can be easily done on your behalf, that you can repeat it every single day. What does that look like? Well, that could look like maybe reading your word for 10, 15 minutes every day. Maybe that looks like finding a devotion on the app, on the Bible app, and pressing in for a few minutes of the day. Maybe it's carving out a specific time to, to, to pray, to be with God. No interruptions. No looking at your phone. You put it on mute. You're in your room, and it's just you and the presence of God for the next few months. Maybe it's choosing to fast something you love. Maybe it's sweets. Maybe it's a drink. Maybe it's the carbs. Whatever it is. Starts somewhere where you can make it happen. And you know you can make this happen. And build off of that. And see what God is capable of doing in your life when you focus on inward disciplines. Amen.